Hey there, it's your career insider, Cindy Thomas. Welcome to season three of the Insider's Career Club podcast. We help our clients get the careers they deserve by helping them plan and grow their careers, manage career transitions, or plan a job search strategy. Longtime listeners know me as an in-house talent acquisition professional who's interviewed thousands of candidates and worked with hiring managers to fill positions in my career spanning over 25 years. Want a better career? Get some career coaching. Start today and sign up on our website for a free 20-minute coaching session. Now, when you listen regularly, you'll hear industry professionals share the scoop on their careers. We also have some free career resources on our site too. If you've been passed over for a promotion or a raise, or you're frustrated because you're interviewing but not getting the job offer, then sign up for one-on-one career coaching. You can get the career you deserve. Up next is a great podcast. Stay tuned. Hey there, insiders. It's Cindy Thomas, and I have a wonderful guest with us today. Her name is Lisa Eusbergi, and she's someone who is passionate about life and her career. Right now, she's the leader and medical director over a team of medical science liaisons. But in her career, she's held multiple leadership roles. She's been a vice president, a medical director, a field director, and head of internal medical affairs. She is a licensed and board certified family nurse practitioner, and she has a doctorate in nursing practice. Let's welcome her into the show and learn more about her interesting career. Lisa, welcome into the Insiders Career Club podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really pleased you're here, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you. So let's just go ahead and dive in. So your career has been extensive as a nurse. Would you share with listeners why you decided to study to be a nurse? So it goes way back to childhood. I decided at five that I was going to be a nurse. I just seemed to know at the age of five that I like to care for people and I like to help take care of them. So went to school in Southern New Hampshire at a small Benedictine school called St. Anselm College. You probably see it during the primaries and during presidential elections because that's where everything kind of comes from. It's gotten well known that way, but it's actually a pretty small school, 2000, and nursing is one of their big majors. So I graduated from there and then got my first job as a nurse, started out as a orthopedic and pediatric nurse. So I did one day a week um, in pediatrics and four days in orthopedics. Mm-hmm. Well, I decided that I wanted to work in oncology. So I switched over into oncology and worked on the cancer unit for several years. But I also had switched over to the pharmaceutical industry. I had been told by a lot of people that I should look into it. So I did. Um, I got my first job at Laterally Oncology. And back then, they didn't have a medical affairs department. That was still new. They had sales reps that specialized in oncology, and then they had clinical liaisons. Okay. Well, I found myself really interested in the clinical aspect of it. So with the FDA changes and everything, they had changed the requirements, and you had to have a master's to, to join the clinical team. So I ended up getting my nurse practitioner, so it's a master's degree at Riviera mm-hmm. University in Nashville, New Hampshire. So that took me about three and a half years. And then I um, was able to continue my dual career where I work 
clinical sometimes like per diem and then in the pharmaceutical industry. So I ended up switching over to the medical science liaison position where I could be more involved in the research and working with key opinion leaders and helping them bring in ideas for clinical studies, things like that. But at the same time, I managed to, I always had this void. If I didn't do clinical practice, I felt something was missing because there's a big part of me that is nurture. I want to take care of people. So I missed that aspect. So I was able to work in urgent care area. So it's not a conflict because not working in oncology and clinical. So I've continued to have a dual career where I work per diem as a nurse practitioner. It started out as a small urgent care and it's grown a lot. So it's a pretty good size urgent care now in New England. And I do that on the weekends and certain holidays. And then I continued my career in medical affairs. So school is really important to a nurse. It it doesn't matter if you're an associate degree nurse, if you're a bachelor's degree, master's or doctorate, there's Mm -hmm. always continuing education. We're always learning. But it sets us up to be lifelong learners. So I went back to school to get my doctorate because I wanted to learn more about leadership. I wanted to learn more about doing my own research. So Mm -hmm. I went back to school and went to Catholic University in D.C. So once I you know, was able to get my doctorate, it opened up more doors for me in the pharmaceutical industry. I've worked for very large pharma companies, and I've also worked for very small startups. I was able to take some time off, actually, during the pandemic. I worked the pandemic as a nurse practitioner in urgent care. So it's been a long career, very fulfilling, but it's unusual to have a dual career, but it's worked out for me so that I can fulfill my clinical needs as well as my research. Wow. It's so quite busy having a dual career. Talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges you faced dealing with patients and coworkers. Yeah, so the pharmaceutical industries, it's people always ask, you know, how do you get in it? Uh, what's it like? And it's never exactly what they think it is once you get inside. There's a lot to it. I mean, you really have to be a a good people person. You have to be able to work through conflict issues that arise on a day-to-day basis. So I've watched the pharmaceutical industry change over the past 30 years. When I first entered it, there really weren't that many women in it. I mean, women really were going back to work. I'd say, I know they there was a big transformation in the 70s where women were going back to work, but I think it took a long time before women were really, really in the workforce. And I started out in the pharmaceutical industry in the early 90s, and women were still getting their feet wet, getting back to not just working part-time, but really working full-time. So there were much more men in the industry at the time. And the funny part that I remember is we had to all wear skirts. And I'll never forget this because I work in the New England area and the winters would be pretty rough. I'd go up to Dartmouth and I'd be like, yeah, I can't get to the parking lot. So I do remember the challenges of trying to get corporate to see that women really don't need to be in skirts. We actually got it done. Women don't need to wear skirts anymore in corporate, but I only bring that up because you would never think that. Telling a young person getting into the pharmaceutical industry would never imagine that that was once a thing. But my point to that is there have been so many changes. Now it's 50-50. There's just as many women in the pharmaceutical industry as there are men. I still would like to see some improvement in women in the executive suites. That's still a bit challenging. 
I have mm-hmm. faced that challenge myself. I have worked as high up as a vice president, interim vice president, and it was not an easy situation to even get into that executive suite in the medical affairs side. There still needs to be work with equality there. And I, I don't think it's done purposefully, but I think that it needs to be more aware that women have more opportunities in the pharmaceutical industry because we've got a lot to add. So those have been some of the challenges, but overall, it's been an amazing career. You know, the things that we're able to do to help patients at the end of the day, that's what we're all there for, is to educate, uh, work with key opinion leaders, nurses, pharmacists, medical oncologists, so that they have the tools they need to treat their patients. Right. Well, you know, I, I was listening to you talking about some of the challenges, and I think some of the challenges you had in pharma were the same challenges that women were having across the board and still having across the board when you think about women in management and especially in the executive suite. It gets very thin at the top for women. More attention has been called to it, but it's going to take a long time. It's probably going to take another 10 to 20 years to get the equality that you need at that level, just from an experience standpoint for women to get some of the experience they need at that level, but to change the mindset too, because if you're male, you tend to think about a male in roles, unless you're very open. When we worked together, we were working in a company that was very diverse Mm -hmm. and very good about promoting from within. I can remember sitting in, in my office and thinking about the level of women in different positions And I know I had counted like 12 VPs and out of those 12 VPs, maybe seven or eight were women. So, you know, it just depends on the company and the mindset. And hopefully women will get to that point where there are more women in the executive suite because people are really pushing for it. Things have changed all around, you know, even with the paternity leaves now. When Mm -hmm. I had my first child, there was no such thing as a paternity leave. I mean, men didn't even take time off. And my husband was one of those who did not. Um, yeah, I still, I still tell them that. And, but my last two were born in 2005, you know, it still wasn't a thing. They had passed the 12 week rule that, you know, you could get 12 weeks from the first time I had the first baby, but the, you know, it wasn't that men would stay home with their wives or have the even opportunity. So I think with that changing, it's opening a lot more doors because they're not seeing it as just women go out on maternity leave. So right. they lose productivity. Because I did face those issues too. I mean, um, I was, it was not easy, I, you know, not to get into too many details, but it, I came back sometimes to a different position when I was out on maternity leave. So there were definitely some things to get through in order to get to where we are now. But overall, I think that we're making progress. And one of the reasons that I'm so interested in trying to make a stand, trying to be very vocal on women in executive leadership and just women in management mm-hmm. is I have three girls myself and mm-hmm. I want them to do well. So I try to pave the path for them, just like women before me paved the path. I mean, my mom was a working mother. She was a school teacher and then she got her master's and then she became a well-known builder. My parents went into the building company. My mother was a good part of that. It was a 50, 50. So I came from a strong upbringing um, and my mom was educated. You know, she was the youngest of eight. Her parents were Irish immigrants. 
And her dad used his social security to put her through college. So I was very fortunate to come from a family like that, but I was always taught pay it forward. So doing what I am now to help the future. That's what I care about is the future nurses, the future executives, the future of pharma. And I actually have two girls now, both NPs and Mm -hmm. both pharma. They're early on in their careers. And then my youngest girl's too little. She's uh, she's only in high school. But that's what I care about. I am a mentor. I care about promoting people, advocating for them. And as a manager and a leader, that's my primary focus. That's great. I wish more people thought that way. But hopefully that piece will change too, because I think there is more of a spotlight on mentorship. And if you have a company that doesn't really promote that, I think people are more aware now that they can go find their own mentor. If you're going to get a mentor, it should be several levels above you, right? And someone with some influence in the company to Mm -hmm. teach you and help you avoid the pitfalls that you would normally step into without that oversight from someone else. So I really do think that's changing. And I see more and more, even on LinkedIn, about on the TED Talks about mentorship. So I'm hoping Mm -hmm. that it really grows going forward. I like to see when CEOs come out of their office and they talk to their people. And I've seen that in several companies. And it makes a difference. It makes a big difference. The CEO comes and talks to their, their employees because they're able to share what's good and what's bad and And it makes them feel like they're part of the team. And I think that's important for all executives just to really get to know their people. Because at the end of the day, you're still a human. And I think that in we all get busy and we forget sometimes and we're focused on a project. But it's not a computer doing the project. It's a person behind it. Because with that big resignation, that just a great resignation, they call it. You mentioned that people will find their own mentors. It is so true. It's not like when my dad worked for Chrysler Corporation for 30 years or my father-in-law was president of a bank for 40 years. He was at the same bank. Everybody needs to feel that human connection. Absolutely. Not only the human connection, but they need to feel that whatever work that they are doing has purpose, that is Mm -hmm. fulfilled to them, and that is appreciated. There's a lot going on with that whole great resignation. And now they're calling that, you know, there's a whole different part to that that's called quiet quitting. And there may be more of that going on now just because of what's going on with the economy and people are wondering if we're going to go into a recession, especially with interest rates going up with 0.75 every so many months. But this idea of quiet quitting is people staying at work, but they're probably doing the bare minimum. They're really best effort forward because they're not getting what they need from their manager or their employer. Mm -hmm. So quite a dynamic work world that we're dealing with now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Can you share some of the wide variety of opportunities that are available to individuals with a background in RN as an RN? When people come to me and say, you know, I want to be a nurse, I'll ask them, why do you want to be a nurse? And the answer really needs to come from within. Like, I want to be a nurse because I want to help people. Because no one goes into nursing for the money. (laughs) Because, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, you can make all kinds of money as a nurse. Well, eventually that gets capped. And, you know, it's not about the money. It's about helping people and taking care of people. And you have to really want to do that in order to stay in the field. 
But once you're mm-hmm. in the field, there are so many things you can do. It's really unlimited. Like I give the example, when you become a physician, you may specialize in an area. It's very difficult for that physician to switch to, say, cardiology to oncology. They have to go back. They got to get board certified and they have to do all that. A nurse, a registered nurse can start out as a med surge nurse. Mm-hmm. 20 years from now, she could be an OB nurse. She could be running a home health program. It doesn't matter because you can switch gears at any time. I have a good friend who started out in OB and she ran and was a director of the OB unit postpartum. She then went into home care. She decided she didn't want to do management. She went into home care. She's done cardiology and now she's in pediatric intensive care. So that just shows you the different areas because nursing is a difficult job. There is a lot of wear and tear on the body. So somebody who's doing med surge at the beginning may not want to do that when they're 50. Actually, one of the projects I did for my doctorate nursing practice was on reducing injuries in the nursing workforce because we lose so much money in healthcare every year. But mm-hmm. so that's just the entry of, you know, this is what I want to do as a nurse and where is it going to go from there? But then you've got outside of nursing completely. You've got outside of the hospital. You've got outside of even home health nursing. You've got the insurance industry. You've got the pharma industry. You've got the legal industry. You know, mm-hmm. nurses become legal nurses as well. So it's endless that, you know, the opportunities. But again, it's something you really have to want to do because nursing school itself is difficult to get through. And I'm not comparing it to any other major or, you know, law school or medical school. Mm -hmm. It's that emotional side of it that is difficult because you're a young person in school and you're going to clinicals. So you're going from that college atmosphere to now I'm a grown up today. But there's many nursing programs that people switch careers And they get their bachelor's in one thing and they switch and they get their accelerated bachelor's degree in nursing. So that part's endless. And then Mm -hmm. you've got your nurse practitioner, which is what I went on for. And even in that, there's so many. You'll see FNPs, you'll see geriatric, you'll see pediatric, acute Mm -hmm. care, all kinds of different areas, nurse anesthetists. You'll see that hospitals now will have one or two anesthesiologists on staff. And then they'll have, you know, a a lot of nurse anesthetists. So the anesthesiologist will oversee everything, but it'll be the nurse anesthetist putting the patient to sleep. And Mm -hmm. then there's continuing on for your doctorate. There's teaching. You can teach at a master's level as well, but most of the schools do want you to have a doctorate degree. There's research. It really is endless. And then, of course, you can do what I did where you go into the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. I try to mentor a lot of young people in going into nursing. And I also am there for them. I've had a lot of them call me going, I want to quit. No, 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 you don't want to quit. Don't quit. (laughs) But you know, that's a lot of different majors, but nurses form this bond together and we call it the rite of passage, you know, when they get through nursing school. Nurses are well-educated people. They're just so versatile from their foundational education and then what they keep learning. I think it's a fascinating career. And maybe if I had been better at math, I might have thought about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you do have to be good at math, right? Um, <laughs> well, now they have the apps that do your dosing for you. <laughs> they make it a little easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it also allows you so much flexibility with regard to scheduling because there are so many 
different varieties of scheduling that someone can do, like in a hospital. There's a 40-hour shift, 36 hours, there's per diem, there's part-time, there's, you know, it made it conducive. And I'm sure from your perspective, too, to be able to be a mom, you could change your schedule to match what you needed to do for your family. Being in the pharmaceutical industry too, I've been through several mergers. If you've been in as long as I have, you've been through several Mm -hmm. mergers. And in some of those, you know, there's been downsizing and I've lost my job. And what I did is just filled in. I worked as a nurse practitioner, you know, some of the time, remember one time there was an NP um, at the clinic I worked at, he had shoulder surgery. It, It was exact timing that a company I worked for had to close their doors overnight. It was a small mm-hmm. diagnostics company of prognostics and cancer. And I was able to walk right into a job. I never collected unemployment because I always had that opportunity to mm-hmm. work as a nurse per diem or part-time. And that's the part I absolutely love. I don't think I'd be as happy in my career if I hadn't been able to hold on to that clinical part. If mm-hmm. you know, if I hadn't been granted you know, permission to work per diem in urgent care. I actually worked um, yesterday, it was Sunday, and I worked. And I just love seeing the patients. And it actually energizes me. People are like, aren't you exhausted? I'm like, no, no, I love it. You know, I had lacerations. I had sent a couple of people by ambulance to the hospital because they were above urgent care. I had patients who gave fluids to IV. I mean, it, it ranges from everything. I had to use my old skills of being able to put an IV in because they had trouble getting one in. So it's just amazing that your skills just stay with you if you keep them fresh and you're able to use them. Yep. In my retirement job, people ask what I want to do when I retire. Well, I'm still a good 10, 12 years outside of retirement, but Mm -hmm. I want to be a nurse practitioner part-time. I want to just focus in on that and not have the dual career. But I still have two kids that go to college, so that's on the back burner for a bit. I'm not ready to leave the industry of pharmaceutical yet either. I do enjoy it, but that will be my retirement. The other idea that I have for retirement is I want to be one of those people that holds newborns in the nursery. I thought about that. It's like, okay, well, when I, you know, get to that point, I want to, you know, volunteer somewhere. It's either go work at the harvest, you know, all the, all the places that basically put food together for people that need it. That's one I wouldn't mind doing. And then, working in the hospital, doing that would be another. Yeah, you got to find something. You can't just stop. No, no, absolutely not. You know, you always want to have a little insurance and and knowing you having dual careers, you'll you'll be working as an NP in your retirement, just like. Yes, (laughs) because I figured, you know, they have mandatory retirement for pilots and, you know, surgeons eventually they're like, yeah, you might want to cut back on that. But, you know, as NPs, (laughs) You know, I'm sure there's there's quite a few still working much later in life than they would have expected, but it's kind of a ways, but I'm going to eventually get there. No rush. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not going to rush life. I do not want to rush life. It's going by fast enough. Yeah, and I really think it was a wise decision for you. I mean, I know you loved it and you missed it when you weren't interfacing with patients and caring for them, but it was a smart move on your part to keep your skills current because mm-hmm. when I had started at Kaiser, there was that, okay, so you have to go back to the, the history of it. And when HMOs came on board, a lot of nurses, nursing positions were dissolved, you know, they went away. And then when I started in 2000, there was a nursing shortage. Yeah. And so there were a lot of nurses that wanted to come back. They either 
whatever reason they stopped for it could have been family, whatever, but they came back in, but they hadn't done what you did and are doing, which is worked per diem to kind of keep your skills fresh. Mm -hmm. And so it made them a little less marketable from that perspective. Yeah. If, if you let it go, then you do have to take the test again if you didn't keep your clinical hours. And, mm-hmm. and that's not easy either. So it is nice to be able to keep going. Because things do change a lot too. I mean, I can just look at the changes in, in just the general marketplace from the pandemic. When we had heard that, you know, we might be shutting down and, and the, the numbers were high, we didn't want to bring people into the company to interview. And so that's when we started a whole program to do virtual interviews. And that's just one of them. The whole remote worker thing has become a huge deal in the, in the workplace because of the pandemic. It kind of mm-hmm. the issue. So, I mean, there's lots of changes. And those are just two big ones. But, you know, it seems to be changing so much. And I don't think I have ever seen it, the market where the candidate had so much power as they do right now. Some of it's waning, yes. you know, layoffs and things like that. But, you know, that was an unusual situation. And it will remain that way unless we do some things to rectify it, like immigration, allowing immigration of skilled workers that have bachelor's degrees and, you know, mm-hmm. certain skills that we need here in this country. So there's just so many changes that the technology, the Zoom piece, mm-hmm. all of that, it's just, and I find it fascinating, but it's, it's just so much change that has happened in two and a half, three years that normally wouldn't happen for you know, like a decade or so. I know it's worked out for some to be better. I mean, my husband would commute into Boston every day and it was a tough commute traffic and he works for New Balance in Boston. And now he doesn't have to go in that much. The company, it's a privately held company by a a very nice family. And they decided to do a hybrid, you know, certain meetings they'll have everybody and some meetings you just plan your own team, but he's Mm -hmm. very lucky now and it's nice. And the technology allowed that, right? Zoom, you're kind of in the room with people. You can see them, hear them. Mm -hmm. And that's different. That wasn't around before. So it does make a difference. Telehealth picked up, which, you know, that was big in certain areas, but it was not in many of the practices. And now something like endocrinology or even oncology, they didn't do telehealth virtual visits. They still incorporate those now. For certain patients that are farther away that may not be able to get in um, to a bigger city, they can still do it. So the pandemic obviously caused much more problems. But if you always look at the glass half full, yeah, you look to see the things that did come out of that that were better. So let's talk about some of the changes you did see in your work as a result of the pandemic, because there were quite a few. Right. So in the pharmaceutical industry, obviously it's, it's been difficult, but you know, we've done a lot of things virtually. We do a virtual ad board. So we're able to bring physicians from around the country and nurse practitioners and PAs and PharmDs so that we can meet with them to gain insight on what we need to do to improve the education that we're providing outside. And it is nice. It is harder to get the one-to-ones in front of the physicians and KOLs, Mm -hmm. but you know, that's the same across the board with all of pharmaceutical industry. And I think we'll see changes with that. And and it takes time. And now everybody's kind of getting used to like getting back to what it was. So Mm -hmm. we all remind each other kind of what were we doing? We might want to pick up on a lot of those things and, and save some of the virtual things for 
for certain events. But for clinical, I did, like I mentioned, was able to take nine months off to work the pandemic. And I knew it was an opportunity I couldn't refuse because, you know, I was never, obviously, we haven't lived through a pandemic like this before. And I, I wanted to be there to help. And I wanted to use my skills so that I was able to help a lot of patients. So I did work full time during the pandemic. The first part of the pandemic, I was working weekends and still Well, I was working in the same company you were. I was working weekdays on Zoom. And I had the opportunity to actually leave the house on weekends when everybody was locked up. I would go to work. And that's back when we would drive fast and we didn't get pulled over. (laughs) So um, we just had the roads to ourselves. But that was very interesting. I worked under extreme stress, just like everybody else in the practice did. We would see our normal numbers in an urgent care run from anywhere between 30 to 40 patients in a day. And those are generally urgent care. So they're, they can be pretty sick, but they can also be pretty short visits, you know. But during the pandemic, we jumped up to numbers as high as 100 wow. during the day. And that would be one single provider. But medicine changed at that moment. We mm-hmm. weren't having the 20-minute visits. They were coming in to get tested. But in order to get tested, unless you went to one of the government sites, you had to see a provider. So we'd have to see them, we'd check them, find out what their symptoms were, make sure they were okay, and then send them on their way. So we would do that day in and day out, where we'd see 90 patients a day. Then the pandemic improved, and we're back now to seeing 40 patients in a day, which is still a lot, but we still see quite a bit of COVID. Not to the degree that we did before, obviously, but we still have a good handful every day. We also see a lot of flu. We see a lot of flu A and flu B now, which we didn't see for two years, but it's back. (laughs) So we've all learned to adjust. But during the height of the pandemic, that was probably the most stressful for providers. I sent my husband to live at our home in uh, the Lakes region of New Hampshire with my son. And then I lived in southern New Hampshire with my twins who were in school going remote. And then my two girls were working at Brigham and Women's in Boston as oncology mm. nurses at Harbor. They weren't even allowed to leave the state for a long time. But when they could, I wanted them to be able to come home and not feel like they were going to make anybody sick. So that was very stressful. And I talked to them often because it was very hard for them being nurses, being young and having to hold the patient's hand at the end of life. And whether it was oncology, if that was the cause of death or it was the actual COVID, the girls mm. went through a lot. So we were separated. So that was the beginning. But then my husband moved back home and things kind of got back to normal and people started to go back out. And that's been kind of the life that you lived as a provider in the pandemic. But we worked very well together. The staff respected each other. We worked under very difficult situations. We had people mm-hmm. having to go out in the parking lot and deal with patients who were very upset because they wouldn't be seen for eight hours. We teamed up we cared about each other and we supported each other. That's probably what I was most impressed with during the pandemic is to see healthcare providers, whether you're a medical assistant, MD, nurse practitioner, nurse, EMT, paramedic, you came together. There was no hierarchy of of care. It was, or of rank. It was, we're all in this together. Let's help each other. Yeah. Because we all know that in a normal medical setting, doctors, I don't want to make it look or sound like they don't cooperate with their coworkers, but there is a hierarchy there that happens. And 
you know, it makes a difference when that kind of goes away and everybody's just working for the good of the patient. How many hours, Lisa, were you working? You know, sometimes we would be there in, for 15 hours because they, we would finish the shift, but we would have patients waiting for so long that you didn't leave. So we had to adjust that where we would then register patients and know by honestly, nine o'clock in the morning, we were done registering patients for the day because mm-hmm. we knew if we did it out on the clock that we would be there until midnight. So we had to come up with new ways on how to how to know how many people to take. Um, mm-hmm. But they were long hours. They were 12, sometimes 15. During the beginning of the pandemic, I was working at home on Zooms and working with my team. I was leading a team of MSLs then. And mm-hmm. so I would make sure they were doing okay. And, you know, we would always communicate through Zoom. But then on the weekends, I would put my scrubs on, I would go off to work and I would work the entire weekend. So at one point I, I remember I worked 32 days straight. I had one day off on a weekend and then I worked another 29 days straight. Now that wasn't all clinical. That mm-hmm. was being on Zooms and doing work. But for me, people said, how'd you do it? And I said, well, there was adrenaline for one because we were in the middle of a pandemic. And again, this was the beginning of the height. And then two, I liked being able to get out and take care of patients. And, you know, people were getting real cabin fever and I never experienced that. So it helped knowing that I had some normalcy too. Also, I could leave and I could go to work and I could talk to people outside my family in person. And I think too, Lisa, because you loved what you were doing. And I absolutely loved what I did as a recruiter, as a director of talent acquisition. And in that way, I was similar to you in the fact that I did not just do management. I also did recruiting. So, yes. even the, you know, running the department, I never lost my recruiting skills. And so, because I absolutely loved it, you miss it if you don't keep doing, you know, you're not interacting with so many people, just your team. But it makes such a difference when you love what you do, even though you're putting in. I've had some days where, you know, we had hiring initiatives and I put in 10, 12 hour days and you're exhausted, but because you like what you're doing and you've got a goal, it doesn't take the same toll. No. That's something for people that are considering a career. If you're listening and you are in college or you're out of college and you're still not quite sure what you want to do, you know, you got to figure out what you are good at and what you love doing and then go do that. That's my best advice. Yes. And I agree. If you're passionate about something and you enjoy it, it's, it's a career that you will stay in. You'll have longevity, you know, you really will. The companies that I have worked for the last 13, 15 years, they want individuals that are passionate about what they do and who they want to do it for. So you have to have that passion if you want to get in to a good employer. People are motivated by passion. If somebody's passionate about something, you will motivate other people. Absolutely. Um, because they see it and they're like, oh, I want, I want to be part of that. Yeah. It's so true. I used to tell my students when I when I taught that, you know, enthusiasm is attractive. Mm-hmm. You know, enthusiasm is it's it's all on the same wavelength. And you become more attractive to other people, but you draw them in. And with that energy, with that positivity that you have for a subject or a profession. So it, it definitely makes a big difference. Yeah. And a leader should never be standing in the way of anybody who reports to them or anybody they're mentoring. 
because a good leader will want them to succeed. A good leader will want to know that you help them launch their career. You know, I've had other MSLs that were reporting to me that have told me that I've helped them with their career and I've launched mm-hmm. it because I advocated for them. And I'm so happy to hear that. I can't wait to hear about more of them if they, you know, become executives at a company. Um, it's it's what I want to see. It's the future. I hope that leaders out there understand that it's not about them. It's about the people they mentor. Yeah. What is it? The servant leader, the true mm-hmm. servant serving their team. Yeah, they're their people. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I will say goodbye and I'll stay in touch and I look forward to talking to you again soon. You too. Hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for joining us. Now your support's a blessing. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a positive rating. It helps with our podcast ranking on the major sites like Apple, Google, etc. Our podcasts are released every two weeks on the first and third Wednesdays. Now you're needed. Keep listening and share these career-changing podcasts with your friends, your coworkers, and your family. They can also listen on insideiscareerclub.com as well as the major sites. Are you frustrated because you got passed over for a promotion? Maybe you didn't get a raise or you're interviewing but not getting job offers. Cindy can help. Get the career you deserve. Sign up for career coaching help with me today. Now, before you go, let's speak victory over your life. You have a bright future. Good breaks are looking for you and new doors are about to open. Believe it. Until next time, take care.